Hey everybody, and welcome to the Dry Life Podcast, a podcast for the alcohol-free lifestyle and sober curious. I'm Kayla Lyons. And I'm Beth Bowen. We're so glad y'all are here. Now let's get started. All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Dry Life Podcast. Beth Bowen here. Kayla has the day off. And I have the great pleasure of interviewing my friend, Alika Gamble. Alika, welcome to the Dry Life. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Did I say your last name right? I realized as I was saying that I wasn't sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. People pronounce it Gamble, Gamble. It, okay. It's, it's the okay. same. Uh, Well, Alika, I'll I'll just give you a quick quick bio. He is a certified substance use counselor, and he and I connected on Instagram. Uh, You have a wonderful series where you interview uh, different people in kind of this recovery community. So that's how you and I first connected. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have just really... I really admire your approach to to recovery and to the space that we both hold and uh, just think that you have a really unique and valuable perspective in this community. So I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I really am. I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) Good. So for those who don't know you, can you give us a little bit of background, a little bit uh, more information about your story and kind of what you do now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I live in California, but I am originally from the Big Island of Hawaii. Mm. Uh, I grew up there my whole life. Uh, I lived in Hawaii up until 2017. Oh, I'm sorry, 2016. It was October of 2016. I moved to California. Um, but, you know, growing up in Hawaii, you know, it was it was awesome. Like everybody wants to go to Hawaii, you know, mm. I, I, <laughs> uh, but that's where I'm from. And, um, you know, I got introduced to uh, alcohol when I was 13 years old. Uh, I got introduced to drugs when I was 15 years old. Mm. And, you know, the culture in Hawaii, it's, um, you know, alcohol is part of the culture in Hawaii, period. It's it's not really frowned upon. Um, You know, like, I remember the first time I ever had a drink. um, I, like, snuck it. We was at, like, a party. Me and my Mm -hmm. little cousin, uh, we were kids. We were, like, seven. We, like, went to the cooler, grabbed a beer. Uh, took one sip and spit it out, <laughs> you know, mm. you know? Um, but it wasn't until later on uh, in my teenage years where I was consistently drinking and using. And I would say about uh, like 19, 20 years old, uh, at that point, um, I was full blown alcoholic and addict at that point. But I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't know I did. I was unaware of it because everybody else around me. We're doing it. So I was like, this is normal. You know, it's what was not normal to me um, was like when somebody says, you know, well, it's like 10 o'clock at night and we're partying and someone says, oh, I have to go. I work tomorrow morning. Like that was weird. Like, what do you mean? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and um, I had a big problem, though, when I was young, when I was like uh, 13, I got introduced to alcohol and, um, you know, all my cousins, my older cousins, I looked up to them. I wanted mm-hmm. to be them. I would dress like them. I would talk like them. I would dye my hair like them. Mm. You know, I would I would surf all the time with them. I cannot with... picture you with dyed hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I have all. The, I have pictures to prove all of that. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to share that with us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, so I wanted to be like them. I looked up to them. I admired them. You know, like the, these guys. I mean, they're all really good-looking guys, and and you know, they had they had all the girls. You know, they could beat up anybody they wanted to. And I want, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like that. But mm. the problem I had was I'm naturally, I'm introverted and yeah. I'm very like 
like, if you don't talk to me, I'm not going to talk to you. You know, I'm very to myself, conservative, shy, um, timid. So my first um, time I got drunk, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is wonderful. Mm. You know, because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And um, I felt like how I thought my cousins behaved. And how they, they they acted and everything, you know. I was I was taller. I was better looking. I mm. could hold conversations with women, um, and, <laughs> and it was it was it was it was fun. It was really fun until it wasn't like until yeah. I I crossed that line into full blown uh, alcoholic and drug addict. Um, but I was unaware of it because the reason why I say it was about 1920 because right around that time I noticed like once I started I couldn't stop. Like I, mm, yeah. I lost the ability to choose whether whether or not I'm going to drink and use. I had to already at such mm. a young age, you know. Um, but that's that's you know how it started, and I just progressed over the years. You know, I learned um, that you know uh, I believe that addiction uh, it's a disease, it's a it's a sickness, you know, um, that affects us like no other human sickness can really, mm. um, and. You know, I just progressed, you know, over any considerable period of time. I never got better. I only got worse, you know. Mm. It was it was crazy, though. But, you know, that that's that's where uh, it all started for me, you know, when I was a kid. And I liked the effect that it produced for me. So anytime I had any kind of discomfort, um, any kind of anxiety, anything, I knew exactly what to do to take all those feelings away. And it right. was the bottle or it was the drugs for me. Mm, yeah, to eliminate that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love having these conversations with you because you and I approach these things differently. But I think that you and I have such a, a mutual respect and uh, yes. just this understanding of of the value of each of our lived experiences. So I know I know a little bit about how you got sober, but why don't you share that with our audience uh, so they have a little bit more of your story? OK, sounds good. And, and, you know, just to talk about real quick what you just mentioned, like having that mutual respect. Because I know your story and other people like you. It's not my story. Right. And like you mentioned, like I started going live on, on Instagram and that's how I met you and went live mm. together. Like me personally, I don't care how somebody got sober. Yeah, exactly. I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like I got sober in a 12-step program. Right. But I don't care. Like like if it's a 12-step program, you went to therapy, like God snapped his fingers. I don't care. Whatever. Because... <laughs> I wish that was that. it was that easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the fingers. Know, just, boom. <laughs> It's all done, you know, and, uh, you know, but but um, for me, that that's how I got sober. But the reason why I don't care how necessarily how somebody got sober is because it inspires hope. I started mm. doing that in the middle of the pandemic mm-hmm. and, and people that were trying to get sober, they didn't have the resources I had when I got sober. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of different ways to reach people. And then, you know, I started doing that, you know, on social media. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I got uh, I moved to California. I was still I wasn't sober yet. Um, in 2017, that's when I got sober. Uh, long story short, I was staying with my sister and I got caught basically because I kept my drug use um, uh, a secret for my immediate mm. family. They did not know. They, they know I drank a lot and stuff like that, but they didn't know I was using drugs. So I basically I got caught. Um, it was a big, um, like I, I, I caused so much pain to my family and, mm. and everything. And um you know, when the truth finally came out, like, like she didn't, my sister didn't even believe me because I was so much lies I told prior, oh, prior wow. to telling the truth, you know. And so what I decided to do was I was like, OK, I got to try and get into a treatment center. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I applied for the covered California insurance. You know, it's free. The um, treatment centers accept that. 
and I would call every day, but the places were so full. Like, mm. say, okay, call back tomorrow, call back tomorrow, call back tomorrow. And I was like, man, what am I going to do? Like, I can't just sit around and wait. So yeah. I, I, I looked up like 12 step meetings and um, I, I found one that was near my sister's house. Mm. So um, uh, I got dropped off at the meeting. Um, my very first meeting, I identified myself as a newcomer. And after it was over, um, there was a, this big black guy. Like he just beelined it right to me. Mm. He introduced himself. Um, he, he bought me my book that I still have today. And he said, here, call this guy. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And, and that guy became my sponsor four days later. And he's still my sponsor. Um, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. You know, it's, mm. it, it's, a, it's, it's a process um, working the 12 steps. Um, there's a lot of like what I started to suspect early on was that um, like the I found out like the drink, the drug, it was just a symptom of my problem. It was never right. my problem. I was the problem. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> You're like, this like, is so disappointing. <laughs> I know. But it made so much sense. The more I learned, it made so much sense. Because if somebody ever um, reads all 12 steps, the only the first step talks about drugs and or alcohol. Mm. The, the other 11 has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. So I started to suspect, oh, no, I'm the problem. I think I'm the problem. It's the way that I think. So, you know, going through the process, it was a lot of self-discovery. That, that's, mm -hmm. that's the best way I can describe it. Um, especially when I got to the fourth step, I found out that I wasn't the nice guy I thought I was. Mm. I lied to myself for so many years and I justified my actions and my behaviors and I was a victim and it was everybody else's fault. I never took responsibility because there's, there's three different inventories that I went through. The fourth step says that we made a searching and fearless moral inventory. So if you think about it, any business that doesn't take regular inventory usually goes broke. So it's like mm. the same, same thing, you know, um, with me. And um, after I completed it, I, I, I felt so much freedom. I, I, that step was designed to introduce me to who I really am. And, mm. and I got to see myself. I got to look at myself um, with all honesty and see. And I didn't like what I seen. But it doesn't stop there. I can, at that point, I identify, I, I acknowledge that this is who I really am. But I don't have to stay there. I, mm. I can go on and get better. After that, I stopped cutting myself and blaming the knife already. You know, mm. I, I was no longer a victim and I had proof on paper in my own handwriting. Oh, it was so great. You know, mm. <laughs> so much freedom in that. Yeah. Know? And I mean, I think that really speaks to just this idea. Like, I, I it's really interesting because I, I studied the 12 steps when I was in school and it's uh -huh. just been so long since I've I've gone back to them to really think about them. But just this idea of how much personal development there is when you make this change. And I think both the 12 steps and just like, even if you aren't within the 12 steps, it speaks to this idea that it's, it's the alcohol is only one piece of it. The alcohol is only like this beginning piece of it. And then once that's removed, there's so many other pieces that were being masked or yeah. being, being, um, kind of blunted by the substance and, and all of the stuff that it takes to, mm -hmm. to work through all the rest of that. And I think that, um, yeah, there's just so much to take from that and really, really understand that that's just, just one piece of it. It's only the smallest piece of it. And there's so many other components to being a person who doesn't use alcohol. So what's your, remind me what your sober date is. I think ours are almost, almost the same. Yeah. It's a uh, February 17th, 2017. 
Okay, yeah, you're a couple of months before me. I was September 29th, 2017. So, oh, okay. yeah, it was, a, it was a tough year to get sober, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's never, it wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't like uh, something that, you know, I, I, I didn't voluntarily reach yeah. out for help because my sister caught me, yeah. um, you know, and keeping that a secret from my immediate family for so many years, mm. like I kept it in the dark. And, um, you know, when it was finally got exposed to the, in the light, you know, I, at that point I was like, okay, yes, now everybody knows now I can go seek help, you know, cause yeah. I, I made a decision that I was either going to die from it or I was going to die with it. And, and that was mm. it. Cause every time I tried to fight against just the thought of drinking or using drugs, I mean, it was a landslide victory for the drugs and alcohol. Like I, yeah. it, it was like, I couldn't shake the thought. I could not like in my career, I was in finance. So I, I could be in the middle of, of, of like closing a deal or meeting with clients or, and the thought would come and I'm trying to hurry up and get through this as fast as mm. I can. So I can go get some drugs and, and go get a bottle of vodka, mm -hmm. you know, and that would happen often. Man, dyed hair and finance. These are just like versions of Alika <laughs> that I cannot even picture. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I mentioned that I was um, introverted and I still am naturally, but in my career, I had to public speak. I had to teach mm -hmm. classes. So that helped me um, kind of break out of my shell. You know, it, it, it really did. It really did. Mm. So, so remind yeah. me, um, were you in a relationship with Marisol at the point or were it was that before you met her oh, when okay, you first yeah, got no. sober? Yeah, I, I was already sober. I was probably about six months sober. And, um, you know, thank God for that because, mm. you know, like God like spared her so much pain and just, you know, cause I was, I was, I was so selfish, so self-centered, self-seeking, self-reliant. Everything was all about me. Uh, you know everything like even the little things like like what movie we're gonna watch where we're gonna eat mm. what beach we're going to like everything because i i needed to be in control mm -hmm. if i wasn't in control i was out of control mm. so you know i met my wife uh, about yeah i would say about six months um into the recovery process it was right after i completed my third step where mm. i turned my life and will over to god mm -hmm. and um that was the first time in my life i genuinely and sincerely said okay god my way's not working mm. after 33 years let's try and do it your way <laughs> you yeah let's do it like, a different way <laughs> yeah let's try and do it a different way because my way is not working and i'm not kidding as soon as i i genuinely felt that and prayed that and said those words it was days i met my wife i didn't have to mm. wait like no two years and um another thing in regards to you know my wife today since i was 15 years old you know, I always knew, just like how people know they want to be entrepreneurs, they want to be pro athletes, they want to be yeah. like, like whatever, um, astronauts and firemen. I always, always wanted to be a husband and a father. Mm. That was my biggest dream in the whole entire world. But I had a huge problem, though. Everything revolved around me. And I mm. figured out later on that women, they don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Go they don't like that, you know, like, like they'll stay far away from a man like that, regardless mm. of how much money he got, how good the sex is, anything. Like I figured that out. Um, yeah. But you know, every woman that I was in a relationship with, all of them broke up with me. I can only remember one woman my whole entire life that I broke up with 
and I really didn't have the balls to call her and tell her. I just texted her, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think too, that makes me think of this idea of like the compromised prefrontal cortex and our, yeah. how our brain changes when we're using alcohol or drugs and yeah. like that self-centered and that, um, that, that feeling of, only being concerned about yourself and the next time you get to drink and all that stuff really just brings me back to this idea of how it changes our brain structures and how Mm -hmm. it's it I I find that when I work with clients sometimes they they feel a lot of guilt and a lot of um just self-loathing almost from this idea of like why can I not live according to my values why can I not um be the person I want to be for my family. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's so all encompassing when you're Mm -hmm. in it. And, and even if you don't realize that you're in it, the, the brain chemistry piece of it just makes such a huge impact. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's so frustrating because when we're in it, we're like, I really know this is not who I'm supposed to be. Right. And yet I can't stop being an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. Being this person who's (laughs) ruining these relationships. Um, and, and I love what you talked about, the the reason you started your lives is this idea of giving hope and for anyone listening out there and if you're if you're in it and you're still using this substance and you feel like you're you're not living how you want to live and you're not being the person in the relationships you want to be um there's there's just control like there there's there's a way out and there's a way to kind of come back to yourself and come back to the person you want to be and like alika said be the kind of person who can can step into this relationship with your wife is like the most beautiful human on the planet hello marisol <laughs> I, <laughs> I hope you. you're listening to this um, <laughs> but that brings me to one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about and that is your beautiful son and mm-hmm. what it has been like to become a father in sobriety okay i love this question because mm. <laughs> i have waited for 37 years to have a biological son well mm. first I, I needed a wife though to do that you know <laughs> uh, um and you know to be honest like it's it's just such a wonderful experience to be a father and to be sober you know mm. my son will never ever see me drunk He'll never see me high. He'll never experience all of my character defects and, and mm. being angry and punching holes in walls and doing all these different things that, that's directly connected to this disease of addiction that I was totally just suffering from. Mm. You know, but it, it, like you, as you know, we just came back from Hawaii, you know, and, you know, it's, it's so awesome. Like we're, we're hanging out in the pool. There's a little, little play area. I ran into all my friends. Like they all got kids now too. Um, and like, I'm not thinking of the, like, I'm not in the pool with my son playing with him thinking, man, I got to go to the bar and get me a drink. Mm. I go to the bar and get me a drink ready. You know, that thought never crossed my mind. The thought that crossed my mind was I need a smoothie because I I, like that place where we stayed. It was at the Hilton Waikoloa. That was my Disneyland growing up and they make the best smoothies. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's like 10 bucks a smoothie though, but like, you know, I was like, I don't care. Well, you know, I I drank a ton of them while I was there. Um, But being able to be present for my son. See, mm. something I, I learned is that my presence doesn't make me present, yeah. you know? <clears throat> like physically being there, does, does, I'm, I mean, mentally I'm, I'm somewhere else. I'm already thinking about the dope man, you know? And like, I cannot, I cannot be there to show up for, for my family. And I, this is my, this is, this is just, I believe this about myself. I don't think, I think God didn't give me a wife and a child because I would have totally destroyed all of their lives. 
because mm. that's exactly what I was doing um, w- with all my past relationships. And I, mm. I had relationships with women that have kids already and I love kids. So to me, honestly, it's kind of strange. It might sound kind of strange, but like I, I almost preferred to date women that had kids because mm. I, I love kids. And I think it's because of my culture and growing up in, in Hawaii, yeah. you know, I'm very family oriented. So to me, that was like a plus, but I, I wouldn't go around like telling women that kind of stuff. You know, but in my mind it was, but, you know, just being able to be there for my son and, you know, I'm not pass out drunk. Wake, I got to wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, I'm trying to feed him and I'll drop him. And, you know, I don't got to worry about any of those mm. things today, you know, um, and something I was telling you before we got started that, you know, we listened to one of your podcasts and um, oh, you mentioned something. What was it? I just I just thought about it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So your son, you said your son never slept through the night for two years. Is that correct? Mm, yeah. Both of yeah. my boys. I don't I don't breed sleepers. <laughs> yes. And my wife is like jaw. Her jaw just dropped because it's a struggle with one baby that, that kind of sleeps through the night. Like he'll sleep mm. for four hours wake up and eat and go back to sleep for two hours and you know he'll get fussy and put him back to sleep then one hour later he's hungry he got to feed him again you know like um you know i ever since my wife gave birth i was there see that's another thing being sober i was literally there at the hospital i was literally like the nurses was in my way i was coaching my wife <laughs> through the whole birthing process you know i got yeah i could see you being everything. a great cheerleader for that yeah you know and because the, the nurse was just telling me what to say and I would just keep saying it, you know, and I could see this, my son's head coming out. It was like, I have so much more respect for women who have had a child <laughs> after that experience. My goodness. Mm. You know, it's just so amazing to, to witness, you know, your flesh and blood being born. It's just yeah. like, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like, it, especially for a mother and a child, the connection that they have, like the connection my wife has with our son is a lot different. Than, than the connection that I have with him. It's not like it's better. It's just, it's different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so I've, I've you, you got me a little bit there a minute ago. You got me a little choked up when you yeah. talked about being in the pool with your son and yeah. not, I've, I've recovered a little bit, but maybe talking about it, I'm going to get choked up again, but talking <laughs> about um, not rushing through that moment so that you could go get beer or something. Mm-hmm. And I think, so from my experience, I got sober and I quit drinking alcohol when my son was two, my first mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. And so I went two years with rushing through bedtime and rushing the, the bedtime book or getting getting my son situated for dinner so that I could go back to the pot where I, the, where I was cooking, not, not marijuana pot, but the, yeah. the pot where I'm cooking and drink my glass of wine and, and just this understanding of... God, I was rushing so much of it. I was rushing so much of it. And like you said, my mind was just in a different place. And I was always, I was there physically, but my mind was already on like the next glass of wine that I was going to drink and and not on rocking my son to sleep and not on reading his bedtime book. And, you know, I don't have a lot of, of regret in my life. I've released a lot of regret and a mm-hmm. lot of, um, you know, I've forgiven myself for a lot, Mm -hmm. but that is one thing, just that thought of like rushing bedtime and rushing to get back to my glass of wine, um, just really gets me. So, so, and, uh, and in addition to that, like I have 
my, my second son, Max is, is two now. And I quit drinking a year before he was born. So uh-huh. I've, I've seen both sides of it. You know, I can, yeah. I can be there and be present for him. And sometimes I just look at my big kid, Will, he's almost six now. And I just, mm-hmm. there's, there's like this little tug in my heart that just hurts a little bit still just knowing what it was like in the early days for him. Um, you know, he makes up for it cause he's like my little tiny adult. He's so mature <laughs> and so sweet. He's my sweet, sweet boy. He's my mama's yeah. boy. Um, but yeah, I just think it's so beautiful that how, how old is your son now? Oh, uh, on Sunday, he'll be, um, eight months. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So it's just so beautiful that you have been able to experience this, this fatherhood with, without that, um, distraction mm-hmm. and, and with that presence of mind. Um, and I, I don't know about your experience, but I imagine it has helped like stress-wise too, to not be, be using drugs or alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't know how else to cope with life and difficulties mm. without drugs and alcohol. Like yeah. I, I actually learned that in the process of working my steps really. And I, I, you know, I gained some tools. See, not everything, not every single thing I learned about recovery, I learned in the 12-step in the program. Yeah. But the majority, I, I have, I have, sure. you know, um, and, you know, since we're on this topic of, um, you know, like typically somebody in a 12 step program is not going to talk about the things I'm about to talk about, um, because something that I have noticed, I, I went on, became a counselor. Um, you know, I got my degree and um, I learned so much while I was in school as well. You know, my own experiences, working the steps and, and going through school and learning and combining everything I learned. So mm-hmm. the 12-step culture, it's it's total abstinence. Right. It's total abstinence. And, and that is a very good thing for me. But for me, other people are not like me, though. Right. So, like, the, the culture is, okay, it's total abstinence. So, like, suboxone is frowned upon. Methadone is frowned upon. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah. you're not really sober. You're not really sober. You're not right. really clean, you know? And And I think... That's wrong. This is just my mm. opinion. That's wrong to do because I know of people that they 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 didn't know what to do. They tried to stop. They couldn't. Total abstinence, and then they relapse. They get a bad shot of a uh, 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 fentanyl, and then they die. Right. You know? And um, you know, it, like uh, harm reduction. It's an that's that that's another one. That that that's another one that twelve steppers don't don't. You know, it's very frowned upon, you know, and the culture. But, you know, I like there's a stigma attached to addiction. But what I found out in the last year, there's a stigma within 12-step culture that's, yeah, even, that's even more dangerous than right. the one outside of it. You know, bottom line for me is that it's about saving lives. Mm. The problem why, why people I seen in with my own two eyes uh, of why people like, you know, start frowning upon people with suboxone and doing all you know they got to taper off you know people who are on it for years typically they have zero program in them they're just sober and then they're not working on themselves or anything right they just don't want to do drugs anymore and they don't want to drink um so you know that's that's kind of it's frowned upon you know in the 12-step culture but like like i said like it's about saving lives Mm. the mistake that we make in 12-step culture is we fall into this trap that when we start comparing our recovery with somebody else's one, that is a huge trap. And then we start to become critical and judgmental because people are not working their program the way I'm doing it. That's mm. wrong. We're not mm. supposed to do that. And I know because I used to do that early on. 
you know, I was super gung ho about this thing. Then I started to learn. I kept my mind open. I start. I went to school. I started to learn, and I'm like, oh man, wait, wait, wait. My perspective changed a lot on 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 twelve step culture. I'm not knocking it or anything like that at all. Like it does save lives for sure, but we could get better at talking about things like. You know, I hear people say, you probably have, that relapse is a part of recovery. Relapse is not a part of recovery. It is a part of addiction. Right. That, that's sending out the wrong message, especially to the person that's that's brand new, that's sick, suffering, trying to get down to causes and conditions of why they do what they do, you know. But that's something that I just wanted to, to kind of address and and speak on um, about the culture. Because I'm still a part of my my 12-step uh, uh, program. You know, I if without it, I wouldn't be here today. You know, I would not. But, so I'm well, really grateful. And I, I, I think, see, this is why I love talking about these things with you because because I feel like we can have an, a conversation about the nuances of this. Right. And I think what, what everyone from every version of recovery and all of the different sides, I, I think, and I, I hope we're all starting to get to a point of understanding that there isn't a right way to recover mm-hmm. and that others versions of recovery don't threaten our own exactly yeah i think that's the heart of it i think that like you you can find this healing and this purpose in the 12 steps and i can find it outside of the 12 steps and it doesn't your recovery doesn't threaten my own and my recovery doesn't threaten your own um and actually like i don't even call myself in recovery and and just this idea that like that's okay too yeah <laughs> and we yeah, can all have yeah. these different um different paths but in the end the goal is of, of this coming back to ourselves and of removing the substance that has caused this harm or i mean this is this is a podcast for the sober and sober curious so yeah. we don't you know necessarily say full abstinence but kayla and i are both pretty clear like i i do full abstinence because that's what works for me right um and, and I think that it just is this, what I'm hopeful for is that we're getting to a place in this kind of cultural conversation that we're having around alcohol use and removing alcohol and being people who don't drink alcohol or, or drugs is this idea that we're all better when more of us are healed, <laughs> no matter, <Yes>. no matter <laughs> the, the process or the how or how we got to where we are, because it's so crazy to me thinking about you telling these stories of, of who you were before you got sober. And I'm like, that is so different than the Alika that I know. And it's yeah. just to think about like who I was before I quit drinking too, like the, the end goal is both of us being the current iterations of ourselves that yes. are doing this good in this world and talking about these challenges. And, and I think that when we keep that as the goal and that as the, the, um, I guess the, the, the guiding, the North star, mm-hmm. um, I think it just makes all of us so much better. Yes, no, absolutely. You know, um, like for me, it's cause you know, like I said earlier, like we, you know, we just came back home from Hawaii mm-hmm. and you know, while I was there, I got to share my story in my hometown. Uh, I'm from Waimea and you know, while I was there, I seen so many people that like the, 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 the drug, the drugs that's happening in Hawaii is so much worse than when I used to live there. Mm. I've seen people that still were still partying. Like when I was partying with them, they're still going. I mean, people's coming up to me and they know I'm sober now. And bro, you heard about so-and-so and, and this happened and, and this, bro, he got killed. They buried him. Mm. Um, uh, they, this person went to jail. This person got divorced. Now they're strung out. 
you know, and I'm like, oh man, my heart is so heavy for the state of Hawaii in mm. general, you know. Oh my goodness. Um, Reframe Thrive Coaching is the next level on your journey. Reframe's premium coaching program provides one-on-one access to a certified recovery coach, curated video content from industry experts, and private group support meetings. With Thrive, you get the support you need to change your relationship with alcohol and thrive on the other side of it, all for less than the cost of a drink a day. Find Thrive on the Reframe app today. makes me think of um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, and that is your beautiful mother, Doreen. Um, yes. I know you've you've shared on your Instagram account and pretty publicly that she passed away in March, and uh-huh. I just really admire the the way you've shared this journey and this this grief that you are holding at the same time you're holding this this alcohol-free life and this life where you have a young son and a family. And I was wondering if you would be willing to share a little bit more with us about your grief process and, and what that has been like as somebody who is sober. Absolutely. Um, I would love to share that with anybody because something that I've learned is that you know, my pain, my experience uh, can benefit somebody else that, that may be going through the same thing or that somebody that will go through the same thing. So I had a very, very, very good relationship with my mom. Um, oh, sorry, I'm looking at her picture on my That's wall. That's okay. Um, I have her picture up on my phone too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's I, I, I was so close to my mom. Um. I mean, I put her through so much, so much grief, so much. She just worried about me a lot because she knew I was drinking a lot and I was out there a lot. She, mm. I, but she didn't know I was doing drugs though. Um, and you know, every time like I would be gone for days, and then I finally show up at home. She never, she embraced me with open arms. She, she loved me back to health. Mm. You know, she never did condemn me, and she never did curse at me my mom has never cursed in her whole entire life actually she's never mm. used foul language it's amazing <laughs> um, I, it's very admirable for me i yeah, usually drop yeah. at least three f-bombs in these podcasts <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and um she was so loving and caring and she had so much compassion she was such a great example for for somebody like me to follow and um it's funny like her not being here now has been more effective on us as a family um, because to carry on her legacy, her legacy mm. of love that that she left behind, but you know she never she never did did smack me on my head or do anything like that. She embraced me, she loved me, she prayed for me a lot, and um, you know losing her it was she had cancer a few times. Like mm. like when she was in her early thirties, she had cancer, it went away. She got you know she got a, she had surgery done. She was cancer free for like twenty years, and then her kidney failed. She had to be, she was on dialysis uh, for a while there. And then she got the uh, a new kidney and then the cancer came back again and then it left and then it came back again. And then th- that's when it took her life. So mm. it was, it was sudden in the sense because she passed away on Tuesday, March 16th mm. on Monday, the doctors told us, or she told the doctor told my dad that, you know, he said, your wife has about nine months to live. Oh, and then the wow. next, the next, the next day she died already. You know, oh. and and it was such, you know, 
the miracle is is not my mom passed away and I I stayed sober. Yeah. That, that's I mean that's not really the miracle. The this right. for me, the miracle is I never started cheating on my wife. I never started lying. I never started manipulating people to get what I want. I didn't become mm. selfish. That's the real miracle because that I was the real problem, you know. Mm. Um, like not drinking, not using. Yes, I, I believe. I mean, that's great, but that's the smallest part of the blessing, in my opinion, mm. for me, you know. But the thing I'm most grateful for is that my mom got to see me, you know, sober for four years before she passed away. Not yes. just that, she's seen my whole entire life just change. Mm. I literally am a different human being than I was before I got sober. Mm. nothing about me is the same like in regards to like behaviors and things like that like of course my personality is the same and all that but um you know all, all that junk that was inside of me it, it's not there's no longer there anymore and i know how to prevent it from coming back because i tell people all the time like because me i was so far beyond human aid like god needed to intervene in my life personally mm. and um the thing that i learned is that he taught me like he saved me and he taught me how to stay saved because my way of thinking can take me right back to where I need saving all over again. You know, so I have acquired tools to, to live a life, to stay sober um, and to be a, a man, a husband and a father and be there and provide for them and love them and being an example, you know, especially for my son, you know, being the mm. head of my house, you know, um, I have a big responsibility and I know that. And I'm just so glad that I, I I have the ability to carry that out. You know, it's amazing. But my mom was such a special human being. Like, I'm sure everybody feels like that about their mom. And I think that, you know, you should be. People should, you know. Because uh, another thing, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I'm a Christian. I didn't grow up as a Christian, though. I was a teenager, you know, when I started going to church and stuff. Um, and, you know... <clears throat> My mom, like, I'm not, I don't have all this anxiety and grief and thinking, what happened to her? Where did she go? You know, I have a lot of peace knowing where she is today. Mm. And, you know, her memory, her legacy that she left behind will will, will continue to live, be lived out in my life and my son and, and his kids and their kids. And, you know, it's a, it's a generational blessing, you know, that, that curse of alcoholism and drug addiction in my family, because it runs in my family. It stopped with me. And, and then it, the, the new one is going to start with my son, basically. And, you know, the rest is history, basically. <laughs> mm, I love I love that idea of taking this piece of grief and transforming it into the idea of legacy and of continuing your mother's legacy by being the best version of, of Alika and of, of the version of fatherhood that you want to emulate for, for your son and the future generations of your family. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you know, with um, Pro Recovery Power, um, my mom, she really supported me in, in doing that because, you know, I mentioned that I started going live um, you mm -hmm. know, with other, other people in recovery, people that are just sober and things like that. And, um, you know, I started, I created the Pro Recovery Power page on Instagram. I started posting, you know, inspirational things. Then I started having the idea of going live. And then I, I started to have a YouTube page. I, I created a website, Recovery Clothing Line. But right now I'm in the process of turning it into a nonprofit organization to help people on, on a massive scale. So you know? cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, so, it's such a tedious process. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, did we just know. like 
break news right here on this podcast that you're turning it into a nonprofit. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I've been, I've been, it's been in the works for a long time. I started my own uh, pro recovery power um, uh, meeting. It's a non-denominational meeting on Wednesdays. It's mm-hmm. through zoom and uh, it's, it's basically kind of like a 12 step program, but like all fellowships, all support groups, uh, everybody's welcome. Like, like it's mainly drugs and alcohol, but I welcome people who have an eating disorder, people mm. who have sex addiction, gambling. All, it doesn't matter. Like addiction is addiction. You know, we're all here for support and to help each other, you know, move forward in our lives. And um, I'm just really excited, you know, um, for, for PRP and the future of it right now. Like it, it's, oh, I'm so excited about it. You know, I I don't want to talk too much about it because we need another hour. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because I was just about to ask oh, you okay. where folks can find you. And I know that Pro, Pro Recovery Power is the company you've built. It is now going to be a nonprofit. We're breaking news here on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this has just been so wonderful. And I know our listeners are going to want to find you on Instagram and online. So if our listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you, Alika? Yeah, they can find me. Um, I have my personal page is just my name. It's just Alika Gambo. Uh, the Pro Recovery Power page on Instagram, it's pro underscore recovery underscore and power. And you also, if you want to know exactly what we're about, uh, we have our own website. It's prorecoverypower.com. Because a lot of people, I don't want people to get confused with, wait, what are you? You just go live or you do your recovery clothing <laughs> brand? Like, no, like we, we are in the process of being a nonprofit organization. That's what amazing. Is. Like it's um the, the, the live shows, the website, the clothing line, all that stuff. These are just tools to help me get in front of the person that's sick and suffering so I can help them. Yeah. That's what it is. That's yeah. what I'm about. Yeah, well, I need I need me a T-shirt. I need to go order me a T-shirt because I, I see them all over and they're very cool. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I just started making, um, uh, uh, like, producing mask quantities of V-necks for women. Oh, um, perfect. My, yeah, my wife was like, you got to get V-necks. You gotta, I was like, okay, okay, okay. I finally, Marisol I finally knows did. what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. She does. So it's actually printing right now. It's probably done today already. Oh, very cool. Well, I'm going to check out the website. Yeah. Well, Alika, this has just been so wonderful. I just admire you immensely. And I believe that you are one of the the most generous and most um, just welcoming and warm spirited people in this community of ours. And so it is so exciting and such a pleasure to interview you here on the dry life podcast. And I cannot recommend y'all go follow Liga, get to know him. He and his family are just really wonderful people. And I just really appreciate what you are doing for, for this alcohol free and, and sober community that we have here. Thank you so much. Ma- mahalo and aloha. Can, can okay this is gonna be a silly question can i say mahalo back to you and that oh. be respectful yeah oh yeah absolutely okay <laughs> I, I don't want to i don't want to break any boundaries there but mahalo to you as well yeah, yeah 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 thank you so much i appreciate it <laughs> all right y'all well thank you for tuning into another episode of the dry life you guys go check out alika on instagram at alika gambill his his uh handle will be in the show notes i will also put the link to pro recovery power if you want to check them out and check out their website um we have a new episode dropping every Thursday. So check in our next episode of The Dry Life. And Alika, I hope you just have a great day. Thank you. You too, Beth. I appreciate you. All right. Bye, y'all. Thank y'all for tuning into The Dry Life, a podcast for the sober and sober curious, presented by Reframe. My name is Beth, and my co-host Kayla and I drop a new podcast every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode.